Welcome to This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for 25 years. I'm a life coach, author, and speaker. I also work full-time as a process analyst in the power industry. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy, and I've had diabetes for nine years. I love hiking and painting. I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after I get my degree in college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my life and my future, to learn everything I can about type 1 diabetes. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 70 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking with Annette Mulligan about day-to-day mental health with type 1 diabetes. Annette is a behavioral wellness coach and speaker who is committed to guiding you to live beyond your diagnosis, own your health, and create a clear dialogue with your healthcare team. So I'm up for the win of the week, and I actually ran my insulin cartridge down to zero units. Usually, I change it out when there's between 10 and 15 units left, but the pump alarms at four units, and it alarmed then, and I was like, eh, I'll kind of forget about it. And then it ran out. It actually ran out and then alarmed me for that one. So I got it down to zero units. That was cool. Jess, what's the fail this week? Okay. For my fail this week, my senioritis kicked in, which I'm for sure really, really disappointed myself about for that one. So this last week, there is pretty much a reason behind the senioritis kicking in. We found out that our school district won't be even consider the fact of doing hybrid learning until late to mid-February. So I'm a little distraught. Or this last week, I was a little distraught. And then there was an assignment that was supposed to do Friday morning, and I found out. So I stayed up a little bit later than I would have liked Thursday evening trying to get it done. So I was just, I'm still very distraught about it, but the senioritis is gone now. I think I've cured it trying to kick myself back into year. Hack this week is well, we've often complained that diabetes is misrepresented in modern culture. If you've ever read fan fiction in particular, you may be familiar with the saying that you should write what you want to read. If you can't find something that you're looking for, do it yourself. So, this is a creative challenge for anyone out there who feels like type 1 diabetes needs better representation. Be the change you want to see in the world. Write a story about type 1 diabetes, write a screenplay, draw a graphic novel. Start your own podcast or a vlog or your own movement based on what you think is missing. And then tell us about it so we can promote you. Hi, Annette. Welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. We're excited to talk to you. Now, we would like you to give us the rundown of who you are and the role diabetes plays in your life. Well, I am a 59 years of type 1 diabetes. So when you ask what my <laughs> what role it plays in my life, I literally do not know what it's like not to have diabetes. I was diagnosed, diagnosed when I was two years old. Who I am, I uh, was born and raised in Southern California and moved up here six years ago. I used to be a children's pastor. So I was on the go and uh, running around like a crazy woman for a good portion of my life. (laughs) And I have a a master's degree in organizational management. And currently, I am 
shifting my, how shall we say it, my perspective towards coaching, speaking and coaching. Those are the two things that I am focusing on right now. I love to laugh. I love to enjoy life, but I'm also incredibly organized and very much a questioner. I'm that person that drives everybody else nuts because I'm the one going, why is that? Why don't we do it this way? How come you do it that way? <laughs> so I'm, I'm that person. Very cool. So tell us about your diagnosis story. Uh, was there any family history? Did you know anything about diabetes before that point? Absolutely no family history. I was two, so I knew nothing about it. My mom knew nothing about it either. We were living in Atlanta, Georgia with my mom's sister and her family, and we were driving back to California, and this was way back in the dark ages of 1961, and I, on the trip home, just kept saying, Mommy, I'm thirsty, and I was peeing like crazy, (laughs) and I was eating and losing weight, and uh, my mom knew that something was wrong but really didn't have a clue as to what it was. And I'm not exactly sure how it happened, but I think one night I, when after we arrived back in California, I just started to throw up one night and wouldn't stop. And so she rushed me to the hospital. And after a while, the doctor comes in and says, well, your daughter has what was then called juvenile onset diabetes. And my mom, started to cry. And the doctor said, this is not cancer. She can live with this, which I don't know if that was necessarily a helpful thing to say to my mom, but she basically had to learn how to do what needed to be done by just doing it. They gave her nothing. At the time, they didn't know anything. You know, the doctor's information at that time was was minimal. And so they oftentimes told my mom, you probably know more about her condition and how to keep her alive than we do. And so that was how I grew up. And that I, and I, rem- I heard your, your provider on the podcast talking about the dark ages of diabetic care. And she was talking about how people used to have to take like a test tube and put some urine in there and drop a pill in. And yep, that was the way that we checked my blood sugars and my color. Blue was the good color and orange was the bad color. I was always orange. (laughs) I don't think I ever, I was ever in the blue zone. So growing up was pretty challenging. I was in the hospital all the time, missed a lot of school, but you know, I made it through. I survived it. Wow. So Going from dropping a pill into a test tube of pee and checking if it's blue or orange, going from that to modern technology, how do you control your diabetes today? Well, I have a a Medtronic Minimed 670G pump and the Guardian sensors and then the also the blood monitor machine. And the three of those things keep me alive and keep me going. And it is it is truly amazing to think about what it used to be to what it is today. I was talking with one of my diabetic doctors not long ago, and and he said to me, you have transitioned very well from the, the way it used to be through the technology. 
very well. He said, not all diabetics can do that, especially, you know, those who are diagnosed so young or who are (laughs) older like me. But he said, you've made that transition really well. And it's taken a lot of work to get to that point and to understand how to work with all of the modern technologies. But so much easier, so much easier. And my diabetes is under such better control now than than it ever has been. Amen to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are your favorite and least favorite things about diabetes? That's an interesting question. I'm not sure I have a favorite. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I, I'm really not sure there's a favorite. The least favorite things though are probably the the lows, I still have a tendency to go low, but not nearly, not nearly as much. Because when you get into the 40s and 50s and your brain isn't, and I'm not talking age for those who might not understand that, but when your blood sugars get that low, you know, your brain just doesn't function. And that's a pretty terrifying place to be if you even realize it's happening. So when that happens, and it's rare now, that's very disconcerting. And then the other aspect is even under good control, it's still the fluctuations where I feel like I'm doing everything right. And oh, look, I'm in the upper 200s or even the low 300s. How did that happen? And, you know, sometimes it's just that bouncing around part that is is frustrating. And I say annoying more than anything else because I do realize that a good portion of it is my responsibility. But then the other part of it is it's my body that I can only do so much when the diabetes and the body, I oftentimes say uh, diabetes has a mind of its own (laughs) and it's going to do what it wants to. And I just have to do my best to keep on top of it. It's a really good outlook on it too. So are there any diets that you found that work best with blood sugar control? Like low carb or keto or or what have you found? Yeah. So it was about a year and a half ago that I was the highest weight I had ever been. My blood sugars were still doing okay, but I I ended up with a A1C in 6.9. And I had always for the last 10, 12, 15 years had been able to keep it in the low to mid sixes. And I said, well, let's take a look at what's happening here. And I knew immediately, I exercise regularly. I obviously check my sugars. I knew the one deficit that I was dealing with was my nutrition. I, Food and I have just always had a, a not healthy, literally not healthy relationship. A love-hate. I love to eat and I hate what it does to me. And so I have a friend who is an Arbon consultant. I don't know if you've ever heard of Arbon, but it is a plant-based dietary supplement. And I said, help me. <laughs> so for a month, I went on this plan and it includes the powder basically that you make a, a healthy uh, drink in the morning. Again, plant-based nutrition in there, a digestive aid all very focused on giving you a clean gut because that's what we understand is so important. And then in the evening, so in the morning and at noon, I'd have one of these drinks and a snack, a healthy snack in between. And then in the evening, a clean diet, which meant protein, lean protein, and organic if you want to go that direction, but vegetables. And in a month, I lost nine pounds 
and my A1C got, you know, dropped back down. And I just started to feel amazing. And so after that month, I, I challenged myself and I said, I wonder what will happen if I continue on with this plan. And I did. And I continued to lose weight. I lost a total of about 30 pounds and I've been able to keep it off. And every, you know, my blood tests are all coming their back into the mid sixes, every test that my doctor runs, cholesterol, everything is wonderful. And I just feel good about myself. And the main thing that, that I, I got out of that experience was I now don't look at food as the frustration that it was. I look at it as the fuel that my body needs to just keep going. So I still am grain-free. I'm dairy-free, focusing on vegetables and mostly berries and apples in that, but protein, lean protein in there. But all of those have just helped my blood sugars to come back down into my target zone and help me to, to stay there. And I don't feel like I'm, like I had to give up a lot. In fact, it was just the opposite I didn't like where I was with my with my nutrition. And by doing this particular plan, this healthy eating plan and, and with the Arbon, I feel like I gained so much more. Not weight, but I gained kind of a sense of freedom. And I don't feel restricted in any way. If I want to go have a burger and fries, I can go have a burger and fries. I, I will pay the consequences in some degree, but I just get back on track with my healthy eating and I'm, I'm good. So I feel like I have a lot more flexibility than I used to as well. That seems kind of similar to my own journey with finding low carb and going low carb and then losing like 60 plus pounds. I just feel so much better and I don't feel like I'm restricted or anything. I could technically go have a burger and fries, but I'll just not have the bun and I'll give my husband the fries. Yep. (laughs) Yep. There you go. (laughs) I love it. Something we ask all of our guests is what does burnout mean to you? And if you've experienced burnout, what do you help or what helps you get back out of it? So an interesting question, because on the one hand, I don't know what not burnout is like. Again, never, I have no recollection. So diabetes is all I know. Checking my blood sugars, checking having to give insulin when I eat or just when I go high. I think the way I'm wired and put together is, as I said earlier, I don't necessarily do the burnout thing. I just get the annoyed thing and and the frustrated. And I am a woman of faith. I believe in Jesus and follow God. And so that is huge in my life. I am I very much can focus on that strength and courage that I get from God to be able to say, you know what, this stinks, this disease, and and I am legally blind as a result of being having such poor control as a child, it stinks. It's not fun. I don't like it sometimes, but the reality is I have it. And my job here and the purpose that I am have been put here on earth to do is to encourage and motivate others to say, life is hard sometimes. Absolutely. There's no denying that, but it all depends on your perspective and on your mindset as to how you're going to live with it and even live beyond it if you're choosing to go that way. 
So what are some major changes that you've seen with diabetes over time, like therapy, diets, life expectancy, or general expectations with diabetes? So this is what the doctors used to say to my mom when I would come in as a child, and then I started hearing it as a teenager and a young adult. You are not going to live very long. You're probably not going to live to adulthood. Literally, they would say that to my mom and to me. And I like I, I shudder now when I when I remember that, and my my mom had told me that. I just think, oh my gosh! And and then at the end of the appointment, their advice to me was, don't eat sugar, take your insulin, and we'll see you in a year. Good luck. That was it. So the changes in what the life expectancy of a diabetic are now is just huge, absolutely huge. And the fact that so many of the major complications, I did have the the diabetic retinopathy, but again, that was because my diabetes was out of control. But the idea that a person with diabetes doesn't have to go blind, they don't have to lose a limb, they don't have to uh, lose a kidney and be on dialysis for the rest of their life, they don't have to have a heart attack, none of those things have to happen because of, yes, all of the, the understanding and the, the modern technologies that we have. And so that alone is just huge to me, along with, as we were talking before, the pump and the, the CGMs and the, the glucose monitors, all of those are just, just mind-boggling sometimes when you think about where we were and where we are now. So very encouraging, very encouraging. Wow. That's crazy. They told me that I was going to live longer than most of the people like my age are going to live. That's crazy. Oh my gosh. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. And, and what do you think that does to your brain? I mean, to my mind, you're being told as a child and young adult, you're going to die soon. You're not going to live very long. You're never, you're not going to see adulthood. I mean, the fact that I am a fairly normal person today is I do account back to my faith because it's just like, that's insane to grow up hearing that repeatedly. And then to, you know, get to the point where I love to just go, ha, they were wrong. But, but. Well, good for you. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, yeah. you and I were both diagnosed at age two. So I'm also a, someone who has never known anything but type one. But I was diagnosed in 95, so significantly later than you were. <laughs> <laughs> significantly. <laughs> so I know that since you didn't have the technology back then to, to have the kind of insight into what you have now... Is there anything that you could have done differently back then, knowing what you know now, even without the access to the technology? Oh, sure. If we had understood more about nutrition, I think that's probably the, the key factor. I mean, obviously, the only way to check your urine that is four hours old wasn't helpful. But I think that if I had understood how huge a role the nutrition part is that could have made all the difference in the world because gotta be honest with you, I ate my fair share of ice cream and cake and regular sodas and all that. Because when a doctor says don't eat sugar to a child, 
And even my mom was like, I, you know, well, what does that exactly mean? Obviously, cake and ice cream and all that probably, not probably, shouldn't have been included in there. But rice, potatoes, all kinds of bread items. Well, we didn't even understand how high in carbs those were. So definitely, if my diet had been different, I think it it would have made a, a substantial difference. But again, nobody knew, nobody understood, nobody ever communicated that to us. I don't think we were ever told not to have sugar. We were just told you can eat whatever you want if you bolus for it. Oh, yeah. My yeah. diet was trash in college. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> it probably was too. <laughs> I'm almost there. <laughs> Enjoy it. But don't, but don't eat badly. <laughs> That's my biggest I'll thing. Do, I'll do my best with that part, but I'm not going to make any promises to my parents at this point. Oh. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> So do you have any favorite or cherished memories about your life with type 1 diabetes, like getting your first pump, getting your first CGM? Like, do you have any like really significant moments in your mind where you're just really proud for being diabetic? It's funny. When I saw the question of cherished moment, I went, mm, that's not a word I'd use for any of what's happened. But I like what you just said, significant. When I got my first pump in 91, I was terrified. I had no clue. I was suddenly handing over all of my control, you know, to a machine. I trusted my doctor. I finally, by the way, I finally, when I was 29 years old, met a doctor who said, I need to teach you about diabetes. And that doctor literally turned my world upside down. He walked me through everything. Helped me to understand about carbs, about exercise, about insulin. I mean, you name it. He educated me on it, and that is when my my whole life just kind of began to turn around, and I began to understand. Oh my gosh, I'm responsible for this. I need to own my health and not rely on on anybody else telling me what I should do to a degree. But I need to educate myself and move forward. But that pump just scared the living daylights out of me initially. So I don't even think it was that that was a cherished moment. But what was, was in 2017. So not even that long ago, I got the very, very updated at that time, the 670G and and then the, the sensors. That is, again, a point in my life where things just kind of went turned upside down in a good way. Because I, you know, literally moments notice, I can just pull my pump out and look at, see where I'm, which way I'm trending. And that just made a a substantial difference in my life. It scared me again at first because change in anything new is, is scary until you understand how to use it, until you understand how to work with it and not be afraid of it. And so I would say that definitely getting to the 670 and the the sensors. That was a huge, huge change for me. What does your day-to-day look like with respect to type 1 diabetes? Well, first thing I get up and I look at what I am <laughs> and then I I decide what I'm going to do for... I still have the, the Arbon shakes every morning, which is the powder and some kale and spinach and some berries and uh, some nut milk in there. And then I go for a two and a half mile walk almost every morning just to make sure that I'm 
I'm getting out and I'm exercising. And the difference now is that I will notice sometimes that unless an alarm is going off on my pump, I don't even pull it out to look at it. I just am barreling through my day. I'm having meetings. I'm on Zoom calls. I'm I'm taking classes. I'm doing all these different things. And then when an alarm goes off and I I forget, you know, I'm literally like, oh yeah, I gotta, <laughs> I need to check something. It might just be that I need to put a BGN for auto mode or my battery's going low or, you know, or a high or a low. But I don't, you know, except for that part of it, which is the keeping up with it. I don't really necessarily have any other, you know, it doesn't stop me from doing what I want to do now that I understand how to live with it and I do own it. I just pretty much forge forward on my day and say, okay, if I don't get to eat when I wanted to eat, no worries because I can just bolus right before I eat whenever that might be. And I mean, that is probably one of the biggest differences too, is that with a pump, you don't have to be on such a tightly regimented schedule where, you know, before before the pump, it was like, I had to eat at five o'clock at night and at 12 noon. <laughs> you know? And that was that was frustrating. And so I think the freedom that I have now with the, both the pump and the CGM just make it amazing. I think the best alarm to ever hear on your pump is auto off after you haven't touched any buttons for like 15 hours. And it's like, are you alive? <laughs> like, yeah, yes, yeah. I'm in range the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. What I see is like, oh yeah, I gotta tell it I'm I'm doing okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which is funny because I don't know about you, but it's like I have a personal relationship with my pump. I talk to it all the time. <laughs> Sometimes I say unkind things to it, but <laughs> other times I'm I'm like, oh thank you so much. <laughs> I'm usually but, like, oh please shut up. <laughs> oh yeah, well there's that too. Yeah, there's, there's definitely that. But yeah, that w- it was interesting. The last couple of appointments that I've had with my nurse and my provider, they keep telling me this almost every single time. They say, gosh, and that you are one of the few patients we have that is in auto mode as long as you are in it or that you're in your target zone, like over 90% of the time. That is like, oh my gosh, I just, that just pleases me more than anything because for so long, I didn't even know there was a target zone. But uh, that's just really, really pleasing to me. But yeah, the pump sometimes is annoying, but other times I, I look at it as just such a blessing because it helps me to to stay alive. Switching gears a little bit, how did you get into behavioral wellness coaching and how does it relate to diabetes? Well, interesting question. I had kind of transitioned out of being a children's pastor about six years ago and I was I spent a year trying to discover who Annette was if she wasn't a children's pastor. (laughs) One of the things I came upon was becoming a professional speaker. And I, I love doing that. So I went to a speaker's academy and my business was just getting up and going in 2019. And then, and I had a speaking engagement every single month out of the year. And then in December of 2019, I began to really feel like my target and my my message needed to change up. And my my message had been the idea of losing sight, gaining vision, which was all about 
how I began to lose my sight when I was 21 and what I went through, through that whole process. And not that that wasn't a good message to share, but I just felt there was something else. And so I started to, I just kind of hunkered down and rewrote everything that I, I wanted to say to people, rewrote my message. And I, I came upon the tagline, I guide you to live beyond your diagnosis, own your health, and create clear dialogue with your healthcare team. And so from those three statements, I just began to develop what it was I wanted to say to people. And in the course of doing that, I went, oh my gosh, people are going to want me to coach them on these things. <laughs> and that was kind of a revelation that I had because I was thinking of just doing the speaking part of it. And then March of 2020 happened and all of my speaking opportunities went away. But I continued to educate myself as far as marketing my business and trying to figure out that new word we all use now, how to pivot my business to be something that was much more viable than, than speaking was. And lo and behold, I said, you know what? I need to become a coach. And so as I went through my, I'm still in training right now. But as I've gone through that, you're encouraged, you know, find that area, find that niche that that is what you want to help other people to do. And so I want to help other people understand whether it's type one or any other wellness health issue that there are ways to to live beyond it, not to let it control you or to keep you down or hold you back or or cause you to have any kind of limitations, but just figure out how to move forward. And so as I was talking with a number of different coaches, one of them said to me one time, you know, what you're talking about is that idea of behavioral wellness, where you can talk with someone about what they're choosing to do in order to either live their life not the way they want to, or get them on the other side to live the way that they want to. And I go, oh, well, I like that because the idea of behavior, you know, stems from the idea of what do you believe? So if you believe that you are restricted and you are limited and you can't do it, well, then by golly, you won't be able to. But if you can go over to the other side with some encouragement, with accountability, with a coach, get to the side that says, you know, I can. I have some ways. There are some tools. There are some techniques that I can do well, by golly, then, you know, the doors are thrown wide open. And so that is what my goal is to be able to come alongside people. And it doesn't even have to be a major illness. It can just be the, the whole, I just feel frumpy. I feel stuck in my life right now. So that's, that's the direction that I'm planning to go with my, with my coaching. That's really cool. So what are some tools that you kind of give diabetics to help them cope with day-to-day uh, -day life with diabetes? Well, one of the main things that I was able to discover myself that I would highly recommend to any other diabetic or anybody struggling with, with health issues is number one, have a goal in mind. Have a plan and be 
be consistent. So those actually, those are three things. <laughs> but the idea of having the goal, when I first started using the CGM and, and the 670G, you know, I discovered what the target zone was. And I was like, oh, okay, that's my goal. That's where I want to be. And so I worked really hard to just make sure that I was doing what I could do in order to stay within that target zone. And also along the way, my when my A1Cs would come up, I knew where I wanted to be. And so I had those goals for those things. And then under the goals, you got to have a plan for how are you going to make those goals happen? Well, that's addressing your nutrition. It's addressing your exercise, your stress level, your sleep level. And so all of those things were things that I had already been doing and had been working on. And so I realized that that is what a lot of people struggle with is, you know, how do you lay that plan out in front of you to be able to reach the goal that you're at? And part of that uh, planning, the consistency comes in there because, and I know how hard it is. And it's not that going off your consistency plan for a day or two or more is going to be the end of you. But the more you can remain consistent in your nutrition, in your exercise, in your sleep, and managing your stress in all of those areas, just the better you're going to feel and the more productive you can be in the long run because you have all of that kind of like under you. That's your foundation for you and who you are moving forward. You know, it's again, that idea of it's, that is not your health or your diabetes is not holding you back, but because of the work that you're doing, you're able to move forward and perhaps help other people in the process. Yep. One bad blood sugar day will not make or break you. That's right. <laughs> How how are you handling the whole COVID thing? Like, are you doing any speaking engagements online or is are you just focusing entirely on coaching? Right now, I'm doing uh, primarily the coaching. But one of the things after I finish my coaching, I, I literally already have lined up some online classes and webinars on how to do presentations, you know, through Zoom, because that is something that I... I don't know how to do yet, but one of the areas that's keeping my speaking skills up is I belong to a Toastmasters group. <laughs> I used to think Toastmasters, oh yeah. I'm in Toastmasters to think, too. Oh, how funny. Yeah. I used to think Toastmasters was for old men and, <laughs> you know, and, and then I, I joined a group and I was one of the founding members of it. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess not. But so every week, you know, I am like this Monday, I'm, I'm giving a speech. And so that is how I'm continuing to keep my skills up is by doing that. And then as I'm doing the coaching and I'm putting my packages together on my website, that's part of that will say, you know, speaking, presentations, seminars, workshops, all of those kind of things. So when we get back in, we can do that, but it's still a, a priority for me to do that. So part of it is I'm continuing to create plans. I'm creating uh, the work that I want to do in the future, because I know if I, if I say, oh, I'll get to it later when this all clears up, I won't get to it later. So I'm consistently working on okay, this presentation, okay, this workshop, how is that going to look? What's that going to say? So I'm continuing to work uh, towards that. 
So from your experiences with being diabetic and working with diabetics, what is one thing that you see that diabetics are consistently worrying about that they don't necessarily need to? You know, um, to some degree, I've lived a sheltered other diabetics life because not until recently, there was never any like support groups or Facebook didn't exist. And I think that it's it's hard in a way for me to address that because I don't encounter or haven't encountered a lot of other diabetics. But I think the idea of the fear of the diabetes, it is real. There's absolutely no getting around that. But trying to create that mindset that I, I believe the doctor who told my mom, you know, at least it's not cancer. She can live with this as hard as that is to, to hear. I think that idea is true. You can live with diabetes. You can live a fully active, fully participating life with diabetes, and you don't need to let it hold you back. I was listening a couple of weeks ago to a a bunch of different diabetics who were sharing their story, and there was a mother and a 15-year-old son in the course of this conversation. And the mother was saying some things like, well, you know, my son doesn't, he can't go out like on a bike ride on his own, or he can't go to an overnighter, or he can't do this, or he can't do this. And she was going off in another direction with things. And then the 15-year-old came in and his his talk was just very, you know, I, I have to live a pretty sheltered life. I can't do much of this or much of that. And I'm listening to this going, what the what? <laughs> and I'm thinking, yeah, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear. But if you let the fear control you, you're not going to live your life the way that you could. And I think about how my mom, what she didn't know was probably what allowed both. And by the way, I have a brother who's four years older than me who was diagnosed at 13 with type one. So there were two of us in the family, which I have found out that's not unusual for it to run in the family. But my gosh, we went out and did everything. I mean, she just she didn't know we shouldn't go out and experience all these things. She would let other people know the adults, okay, just make sure she doesn't do this or that. And if this starts to happen, here's some juice, just give her that. And we both ended up just living these incredibly full lives that both of us ended up going into careers initially. He was a, a youth pastor for a number of years, and then I was a children's pastor, and we were leading just these massive large groups of kids and adults on all of these adventures all over the place because we didn't know that we needed to restrict ourselves or limit ourselves in any way. And so I think that from what I have heard either from my medical team providers and just from the few other diabetics that I've, I've encountered is the idea of, yeah, it's scary. It's a challenge, but by golly, don't let that hold you back. You know, live life and and just get out there and do what you want to do, but know what your boundaries are and know the the information that you have to have. That story about the mom of the 15-year-old who said that he can't go ride his bike by himself reminds me of a bike ride that I took without my parents knowing about it. It was like, uh, I think it was like a nine-mile, maybe it was a seven-mile bike ride, but I crashed in the middle of it. 
Oh, no. Completely crashed. Separated my rib from the cartilage. Didn't know it at the time. But I biked all the way home. Yeah. And I biked up a hill. <laughs> and I got home and my sister saw me in the bathroom like bandaging myself up because I scraped myself too. And she goes, did you eat it? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I was so pissed. I wasn't like upset about like my diabetes or about being that far away. I was just mad. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't yeah. hurt. I was mad. <laughs> Mad, yeah, I yeah. It was like I said. I've I've heard other people just talk about you know that idea of they can't do this, they can't do this. I'm just like, oh my gosh! I probably people would cringe. I mean, other diabetics and maybe some medical providers. I don't know, but if they heard the things that my brother <laughs> were doing with absolutely nobody knowing we were diabetic and we're just out there doing it, it's like. You know, we both survived. He's he's fine. He's in his health is under very good control too. He has just the CGM. He doesn't have the pump. But it's funny when the two of us get together because we do diabetic talk, and the rest of the family just gives us those looks like, "What? What are you talking about?" <laughs> oh, it's our private language. Speaking from personal feet, a little bit of hindering fear. Is there any advice that you could give to young college students who? are new to the medical scene without their parents? Mm. Yeah, that's a tough one. I think a lot of times, when, especially when I was a, a teenager and, and young adult, I would hear from the doctors, well, you should do this and you shouldn't do that and you ought to do this and you oughtn't to do that. And in my mind, I was like, yeah, whatever. And I, you know, there's an awful lot of rebel in most teenagers and in, in young college people because they, they think they know it all. I would really want to encourage them to, rather than trying to feel like you can do it all yourself and you know everything, to listen to what perhaps, you know, hopefully you're still under the care or they're going to be under the care of a, of a provider but listen to what they're telling you. And instead of just trying to say, I can do this myself and to find a support group, to find other people who you can talk to, even if they are your peers or a little bit older, just to keep you on track and consistent. Because I can understand where, you know, yeah, going into college, you're kind of like, oh, all those restrictions are off me now. And yet those restrictions were there for a good reason to, to kind of keep you on track and give you some guidance and boundaries. And that is what I think is super important that as a diabetic, you have to understand that you do need boundaries as much as you might not want to hear that. It is the truth. And you don't have to go all crazy wild on obsessing over every little thing to take care of your diabetes, but but just be willing to listen to someone that perhaps you respect, find someone that you respect who's going to be honest with you and tell you you're messing up here. You need to stay on track and that you can start to form really good habits while you're in college. Don't let those habits that your parents maybe forced you to do completely slip away, but find the the behaviors and the habits and the patterns that work for you, not against you, and really begin to develop those because those are going to be the ones that follow you for the rest of your life. And if you create bad ones or ones that are just not helpful, it's just going to be super hard down the line to change 
those or to redirect those, not impossible, but but a challenge. And if you can just stay the course, if you will, while you're in college, you can transition then into that adulthood after college uh, stage, I think much more easily. With your 59 years of experience dealing with doctors in the diabetes world, what are some red flags that people should look out for in their medical team? Oh, gosh. (laughs) I had a doctor who was, I think, one of the first endocrinologists I had. I was, I think I was just like 18 or so. I, when I would walk out of his office, I would be in tears. He would bully me. He would tell me I was wrong, what I was doing. He again was saying, you're going to die. And I remember I, I finally just said to my mom, I don't want to go back to him. Now, what was he lying to me? No. Was everything that he was saying probably correct? Yes. <laughs> but I certainly didn't hear him. And I could have cared less what he said because he did not treat me as a person with respect or dignity or value me. And he certainly didn't try to figure out what was the best way to encourage me or to motivate me. And so I think it's super important that you have a doctor, a healthcare team who listens to you and who responds with that degree of empathy and the idea of, well, let's talk about this. What do you want to have happen here? Or what changes do you want to make? And what do you think is the best way for you to be able to make them? When they focus more on you, the patient, and trying to resolve the issues or to address them, rather than when you walk in and say, I'm having high blood sugars every morning. Well, then here's the list of things that you should be doing and take those all off and you'll be fine. Okay. See you next time. When it's more about the list of things that they have for you to do or more about them being the only one who can tell you what you should be doing. I think those are definitely some red flags. As I said, the doctor who changed my life I imagine, I don't believe he would do this, but I imagine when he saw me and had first couple of visits with me, his mindset or his thought might have been, yikes, this is a hot mess <laughs> because I was. I was just under no control whatsoever. I never felt belittled or berated in any way. I felt completely respected and valued as he would walk me through. Okay. Here's some ideas. Why don't you try this? Let's see what this happens. You know, let's see what happens when you do this. Keep your records and get back to me. And and I mean, he just was an incredible encouragement. And if your care team doesn't make you feel encouraged, if they don't make you feel motivated, if you feel for some reason that you can't tell them the truth, boy, there's those are red flags right there because they're not the right people for you. And I know it's hard sometimes to change doctors or or physicians or whatever, your healthcare team. But if you can, because you're not having your needs met in that regard, then absolutely find somebody who you can respect and value and who does the same back to you. So what do you see 
limiting people from their full potential? Is it like a mental block? Is it a physical thing? What is that one thing that's limiting everybody? I, it's definitely a mental block. I, I, but I, I think that the mental block is the fear and perhaps the anger and the denial that if you have not come to grips with those three particular areas, you're just, you're going to be stuck and it's going to be super hard for you to move forward. If you're angry about it, you don't want it, you hate it, and you're not going to try to figure out how to then live with it. If you're fearful of it, um, if you're denying it, those things absolutely are crucial to understanding how to live beyond it and to own your, your health. But then the physical side comes right in there because if you're not doing what you need to take care of yourself, well, then you are having some complications perhaps or you feel just crappy all the time. So it's definitely a blend of those two that, you know, what you think and what you feel you do and you think those things and you feel those things. And I mean, it's kind of a vicious cycle that people can can get themselves into. And I have heard so many times from the people, and primarily I've had more encounters with type 2 diabetics in just in general day-to-day life. But, you know, the word I hear or the phrase I hear her is, well, I can't, or it's too hard. <laughs> I'm looking at them thinking, if you don't, the potential for ending up like me is where you're headed. And I don't want anybody to end up either blind or losing a limb or are all of those other complications that can happen. So it's a combination of those two things. I think the definitely the mental and then the physical, but it, I do believe that if someone can come to grips with the ideas of, dealing with the fear and the the anger and the denial, they can start to make forward momentum towards the idea of owning their health. Along those lines, how do you keep yourself mentally healthy? <laughs> well, as I said, I have my faith and that is the primary reason or primary way that I'm able to keep myself mentally healthy because I live under the idea that I'm still here. There's a reason I'm still here. I didn't die when they told me I, I was going to die. I, I gave a speech one time where I said, um, doctors told me I was going to die young and I outlived every expiration date that was ever put on me. Not because I did such a fantastic job as a child or young adult, but because there's a reason for me to be here. There's a purpose uh, for my life. And so I have that constantly going in my head. I realize that I'm here for a reason and I've got to, I've got to find out what that is. I, I know my purpose. I have my why in front of me all the time. <laughs> and it's that constant moving towards that. I am a very uh, forward-thinking person and I it just helps me to know that I've got a purpose and a plan in place for for accomplishing that purpose and getting my goals done. I often say to people, I feel like I'm a shark sometimes because you know how sharks have to keep moving or they'll die? <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about myself that 
I just have to keep moving. I've got to keep going forward. I can't go back. I can't just sit still. I have to keep moving forward. And so for me, that just, my mind is just kind of constantly going anyway. So I keep going. All right. What advice do you have for the young diabetics out there? Young as in children or older? Why not both? Okay. (laughs) I think I, I mean, I said it a bit to the college age, but the idea of, I understand you want to fight sometimes when, when you physically are not feeling well, or you want to resist what's, what you're being told or, or what you're being guided to do either by your physicians or your parents, but try to, to get a hold of the idea that they want only your best they have only your best in mind to keep you alive and to keep you going and to stay on whatever routine that they have you on for nutrition or for exercise, for checking yourself, whether they're on a pump or however it's working. Just try your best to not, not fall down the hole that says, I just want to be like everybody else and diabetes is making me not like everybody else. The reality is none of us are like everybody else. We are all uniquely designed and made, and we all have a unique and different purpose in life. And each of us needs to be healthy and well enough to figure out what that purpose is in order to accomplish it. So while you may feel very different because you're a diabetic, I always like to look at it and say, said about myself, well, I'm just very special and not in a negative way, but in that I'm not like everybody else, which I thought was a good thing because I'm kind of special. And it is a lot of work to get to that place. And parents have a huge job to help their their kids to get there. But that idea of parents just help your kids to understand this is not the end of life when you have this condition or, or this disease, but It is an opportunity to even to help others to understand that difficult situations doesn't mean that your life is over or that you cannot enjoy life and live it to the fullest. It means you might just have to work a little bit harder at living life to the fullest and enjoying it in the meantime. (laughs) What are some projects you're working on right now that you're really excited about? Well, I am in my coaching training right now and I'll be done in January. So I will be launching my business at that time. I mean, I'm in, I'm constantly working towards that and I could start coaching even right now, but I I prefer to have that hot little certificate in my hand (laughs) to to feel official and, and do that. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm writing a book because everybody always says, oh, I should write a book about that or you should write a book about that. Well, I decided after hearing that, I'm going to write a book. So I've actually written my first draft. I'm on my third draft right now. I'm not quite sure. I'd love to say that perhaps next fall I could uh, release that and get it published, but I am writing a book and I'm excited about finishing that up and getting on with it. Time to write the sequel for NaNoWriMo coming up. What was that? Have you ever heard of NaNoWriMo? No. National Novel Writing Month. So right now, as we're recording this, it's the end of October, which means National Novel Writing Month is right around the corner. Starts November 1st. It's 50,000 words in 30 days. Oh, wow. 
Oh, yeah. wow. So you could okay. write book two right now. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a three book plan in place. My first book is entitled Living Beyond the Diagnosis. And it's basically my story and how I've done that. My second book is Losing Sight, Gaining Vision about that whole thing. And my third one is Because I'm Not Done Yet. (laughs) That's just about how my life has gone and how I keep saying that. I'm not done yet. I, you know, when I'm in the grave, that's when I'll be done. But until then, I'm moving forward. (laughs) Well, definitely let us know when it comes out. We'd love to promote it on here for you. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. And our final question is, where can people find you online? Yes. Oh, exciting. So my email is a.mulliganspeaks at gmail.com. So the Mulligan Speaks is all one word there. My website is under construction, but that's okay. Uh, It's just a work in progress, but it is a Mulligan Speaks. So either one of those places, but the email is the best way to get a hold of me. A.mulliganspeaks at gmail.com. Awesome. Thank you for coming on. It's been great talking to you and learning your whole story. Thank you. It's been a privilege and an honor. Thank you so much. Jesse, what is our question for the audience? Our question for you, our lovely audience, is what resonated the most with you about Annette's interview? Did anything stick out more or less than other things? Let us know in the comments. That is it for this episode of This is Type 1. Thank you so much to Annette Mulligan for coming on as a guest to the show. You can find Annette online at her website, amulliganspeaks.com, or by email at a.mulliganspeaks at gmail.com, where the mulligan speaks is all one word. And the best way to reach her is by email. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 70. That's the number 70. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode or a guest request, please leave us a comment or send an email. You can get straight to our podcast page by going to thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade. It's almost the new year. Kind of hard to believe. Many people set New Year's resolutions only to falter a few weeks in. Don't let that be you. Get support with all of your goals, not just your diabetes goals. So you're not trying to do it all by yourself. Life coaching is you getting that support, the exact support you need, exactly when you need it, with no judgment. Schedule a free 60-minute coaching consult at inspiredforward.com coaching. We talk about where you are, where you want to be, and what it takes to get there. I'm on all social media as at inspiredforward, and you can find me on DMP, Diabetes Management Platform, as at Colleen Mitchell with the space in there. Our email is colleen at inspiredforward.com. And I'm on Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type 1 diabetes or about the show. If you reach out through Instagram, please make sure you mention that you're a listener of the show and your favorite episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, your family, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts since that really helps other people find us. And reminder, if you leave a review, like a real review with actual words and stuff, not just a rating, we will shout you out on the podcast. And be sure to listen next week when we talk about the different CGM manufacturers and the pros and cons of each company's sensor. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you.
Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.